All right now. I saw you moving your hips. Don't tell me that you weren't. <laughs> That's Lee Morgan with the Sidewinder. Uh, Lee Morgan is on trumpet. Joe Henderson on tenor sax. Billy Higgins on drums. Barry Harris, the great Barry Harris on piano. And Bob Crenshaw on bass. This is a title track of Morgan's album of the same name, uh, produced and recorded in 1963. This is Lead Stories. I'm Eutrice Lead. Good to be back with you. And uh, we keep moving. Um, today, we're going to be joined with, by, I should say, Jeremiah who, as you know, had just completed his presentation on lockdowns. And uh, we'll explore with him in greater detail those questions that you wanted answered. But, of course, time went, time went fleeting by and you didn't get to ask your question. So today is the day to do that if you have your question handy. And if you haven't uh, a question today because you missed yesterday, well, we will do a little capsule of the major points, and so you, your questions could be based on that. Thanks, Jeremiah, for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Eutrice. I thank you for the invitation. I want to thank Progressive Radio Network and all the listeners who have tuned in. Um, I actually didn't get a chance to make my presentation yet. Uh, you haven't? No, but I would like to, uh, you know, invite callers into the discussion as, as quickly as possible. I just want to go over a few points to get the discussion rolling, basically. Well, I was neck deep in concrete and uh, machines and whatnot yesterday. Um, on the receiving end of a lot of the... The, the noise and whatnot of construction. So yesterday was right. not a good day for me. But let's then go straight to your topic. And so people will have enough information to formulate questions for you. Absolutely. What do you mean by the fact that uh, uh, lockdowns have been having at least this is what I gather as your thesis, a universal or global impact and not in a good way. Could you start there? Absolutely. Well, first of all, if we were to ask the question, when was the largest wealth transfer in history? We just have to look back at the last two years, basically. This whole COVID experience has resulted in the largest transfer of wealth from the middle class and the lower classes, the impoverished classes, to the ultra-rich. And um, we should be very alarmed by that, and we should also be prepared for the next phase of whatever may be in store for us, because obviously lockdown was something that was sort of forced upon the global public, and how that manifested itself depends on what country you were in, what jurisdiction you were in, but this is something that swept over the entire world 
and had a devastating effect in terms of, first of all, increasing the level of global poverty, um, taking people who were uh, already in a state of poverty and pushing them past the brink of poverty into outright despair. Um, There's also uh, the devastating effect that lockdown had on small and medium-sized businesses, which is to the benefit of remain open, as though you would catch COVID in a small hardware store, but you wouldn't catch it in a corporate chain such as Home Depot. Um, People who needed medical care of various kinds didn't go to the hospital. They didn't go to medical facilities because they thought it was dangerous to do so. Um, People didn't go for tests, which could have potentially saved their lives because, again, they were told, don't go to the hospital. Don't go to your medical care provider unless you're dying of COVID. And a lot of things went untested and untreated. There was an increase in mental health disorders. Um, Depression was uh, increased dramatically because people were being kept away from their social lives, from their cultural lives, from their economic lives. And let's also bear in mind that when someone is depressed or someone slips into a bad state mentally, it's not necessarily something that you uh, turn around and correct. That could be the beginning of the end for some people, physically or mentally. So, you know, this isn't something that we just uh, snap our fingers and and snap out of necessarily. Um, There was an increase in drug abuse under these conditions. Um, There was an increase in domestic violence. A lot of people were locked down or locked in with their abusers. And a lot of abuse can be interrupted through a, a student, for example, being able to convey that they're being abused to their teacher or what have you. But many people were locked in with their abusers. And across the board, we could generally say a destruction of our inalienable rights as global citizens, um, which is not something that we should take lightly at all. We have the right fundamentally to earn a livelihood. We have a right to produce music and art. We have a right to interact. We should be able to interact with our friends and family members at our own risk. And the term itself, lockdown, should be alarming and disturbing to anyone with self-respect, because lockdown is a prison term. Lockdown Mm -hmm. is something that you impose on unruly prisoners who are not following prison protocol. So the state should not have the impression that um, we're subject to arbitrary lockdowns. Yet they did have that impression. They executed the lockdown to devastating effect and, um, we're still suffering from all that has been imposed over the past two years. I also wanted to mention my own personal circumstances, which is something I'd really like to hear from callers, which is just how did this affect you? And I'll describe my personal situation, which is that I'm a professional musician and I'm also a professional chess teacher. I've been playing electric bass professionally for about 25 years and I've been teaching chess for about 20 years. Now, at the time that global pandemic was announced, I was actually doing 
pretty well for myself by my own standards and in my own estimation. I was the father of one young man, my son Marcus, with my daughter Mariana just months away. And I was actually providing for my family as a full-time chess teacher and a part-time musician. I was teaching chess in a private school. I was teaching chess after school in Tribeca, teaching chess after school in Battery Park with an array of private students. And I was able to provide for my family. And I was doing gigs, not as much as I had been doing gigs years ago when I was a full-time musician, but I was still on the scene. As a matter of fact, I played that song, um, that, that wonderful song you used to open up the set with, uh, with the great Vernon Reed. Um, oh, yeah, Vernon Reed. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine and uh, someone I've had the honor of performing with. So, you know, I was a working musician. I was a surprisingly busy chess teacher with a young son to feed and a daughter on the way. And um, I basically felt like my very well-cultivated life was just shredded. I feel like my, my life was like a well-cultivated bonsai tree. And some maniac just came and just, you know, chopped up my tree with a machete with no remorse and no consideration of what it takes for an independent artist or uh, an independent educator such as myself to survive. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who have lost their lives during this period due to these policies. And, and I'm sure that I'm luckier than a lot of people. But nevertheless, my stability was completely uprooted. I was left in a situation of basically scrambling to survive. And um, I guess necessity is the mother of invention. So I did actually start my own business, which was overdue, which is remotelearningchess.com. And um, I have been developing that business. It's been difficult, but it's been rewarding as well. But, um, you know, all in all, the entire event of the global lockdown was completely destabilizing to me personally. And one thing I'd like to add as well, which I think a lot of people haven't considered in this country, was that lockdown also lent itself to authoritarianism all around the world. That we announce, oh, there's an emergency situation, now we implement curfews, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if we catch you on the streets and you're violating curfew, well, we can beat you down because we know that there's a problem of police violence in this country and all around the world. So when you introduce these kind of measures, well, now these forces of, you know, so-called law enforcement have been given an underhand softball to carry out more abuses. Actually, my co-producer, um, my friend Rohan Solomon, who resides in um, New Delhi, India, um, sent me video footage from right outside of his window of the police literally beating a man down for violating curfew. So who knows how many times that's happened all around the world, globally. And, um, you know, and what we have seen in this final summary of all that's transpired here is we have seen the emergence of the biosecurity state, which is something that I urge every listener to resist with all their being, because if we cross this threshold into a, a biosecurity type of existence, um, our 
human dignity has been more than compromised at that point. We are not free individuals. If we have to present vaccine passports and provide personal medical information to music venues and, and places such as that, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's so many implications in terms of the destruction of our inalienable rights and uh, just the general detrimental effect that such a thing has when we have to um, be subject to medical protocols at the order of the government or the order of private institutions working on behalf of the government. And um, I would like to reference a couple of resources. Um, first of all, there's a trove of documents um, that I encourage everyone look up 400 studies on the failure of compulsory COVID interventions. This is available at brownstone.org, B-R-O-W-N-S-T-O-N-E dot O-R-G. 400 studies on the failure of compulsory COVID interventions. I'd also like to direct people to an article called we're living through the greatest tran transfer of wealth from the middle class to elites in history by Carol Roth. We're living through the greatest transfer of wealth from the middle class to elites in history. Um, I would like to reference two documentaries that I was viewing in preparation for this discussion. One is called the COVID Chronicles by Ivor Cummins, um, who was a really uh, astute at analyst from the beginning. As soon as lockdowns were announced, Ivor was somebody that I sort of stumbled upon and his presentations were just simply outstanding, showing how ineffective lockdowns were from a medical point of view. Um, there's another documentary called Planet Lockdown. Um, a different feel entirely from the COVID Chronicles, but those are two documentaries I recommend people track down for some good insight into this situation. And um, as far as the medical significance of lockdowns and, and the other various measures that were implemented to stop the spread of COVID, um, I think they were entirely ineffective. And Ivor Cummins, along with you know many other papers now that have been written on the subject, but Ivor Cummins uh, provided some really detailed presentations showing that basically we have no control in the spread of respiratory viruses. Although it's a terrible feeling to feel powerless, and as human beings, we like to feel like we're masters of our own reality. But in the words of um, Dr. Roger Hodgkinson, he said on more than one occasion, I've seen several of his interviews, and he said, you know, as clearly as you can state, Modern medicine is impotent in stopping the transmission of respiratory viruses. That's why we grew up catching colds or being subject to the flu. And the fact that, you know, we decided to start throwing money at coronavirus um, doesn't mean that suddenly we can solve problems that are older than humanity itself. Um, I also find it really strange, kind of a side note, but, you know, this novel virus, which was COVID-19, appeared, and the world set out to come up with a miracle cure for a novel pathogen, and then multiple cures were discovered by multiple corporations at the same time. 
I find that really strange and suspicious. For example, we don't have a cure for cancer for all the pink ribbons and all the money that's been collected in the name of curing cancer. So what if everyone came up with a cure at one time? Wouldn't that seem a little bit odd, a little bit strange? Like did Einstein come up with the theory of relativity along with a bunch of other guys? No, it was an individual breakthrough. So the fact that multiple corporations, um, you know, in a totally, uh, you know, in total harmony and total sync, were able to come up with a cure at the same time. Um, I find that really strange. And that's where we get into the corrupting element of profit making. You know, I've well, used the analogy. To that because that would be that would be of intense interest, I'm sure. But we have a f- the first few questions coming in, so yes, I think we want to get to those as quickly as possible. Jackie Let's from Brooklyn, right you're on the air with Jeremiah. Good, uh, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And I want, first of all, I want to preface what I have to say by I enjoy and respect uh, the insight that you bring to the program. And Thank I you. like your calm spirit, the way you explain things. Okay, Thank I have so a couple much. of questions that I, I don't know if we have enough time today to go into. Uh, but I'd like for you to explain uh, more in depth the cybersecurity society that you just mentioned. Um, I want to know, you know, what you mean by that. I have an idea of what you mean, but I want to... Um, maybe for another show, you could bring us into more knowledge about that. Okay? Yeah. And um, oh. the other question that... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. Uh, I have some other questions. Um, I wanted to ask yeah, well, you... How about you editing them down? Since you're not the only person who will be asking questions today. So, pick your best Pick, pick your best ones. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I, I'd like the uh, what he talked about, like what the impact of the lockdown of the uh, uh, the world, what impact that had on his personal life. And I think it would be interesting to find out what was the impact that it had on so many people's lives. And um, how has that changed in terms of are people still working from home, not working at all? Um, you know, a lot of different issues have flown at, flows out of that one alone issue, the whole issue of rent and not being able to pay your rent and everything. So anyway, um, Jeremiah, I will get off according to retreats, retreats and let other people ask questions. <laughs> But I do have. Well, we're not driving you away. It's just condensed. Well, you gave me a lot of responses. I'm chomping at the bit to respond. (laughs) Okay. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Go right ahead. Well, first of all, as far as the biosecurity state, um, that to me is presenting a, a vaccine passport to enter a music venue, to enter a museum. That suddenly information that's confidential between a healthcare provider and an individual is just something that we openly discuss. I think there should be medical privacy. I, I did not personally uh, agree to abdicate my, my medical privacy. And I don't like how under the so-called emergency circumstances, 
that everything, um, you know, in regard to medical privacy is just thrown out the window. Um, you know, it's also uh, a very uh, strange thing, I would say, when someone, an entity, an individual, what have you, um, expresses enormous concern in regard to one particular thing while disregarding the general concerns of your life. Like, for example, you know, I'm really concerned if you get COVID, but I'm not concerned if you become homeless. That's not too good for your health either, I wouldn't think, to be in the cold and without a home. So, you know, if you want to help someone, if you want to help a community, ask the individual, ask the members of the community how they would need help. You can't impose help on people. You know, as a resident here in Harlem, we have a problem with violence in our communities. There have been shootings. I live on 130th Street. People have been shot and killed on 129th Street. People have been shot and killed on 131st Street. There have been shootouts at the playground. Um, you know, the playground on 7th Avenue, there's been a shootout over there. There's been shootouts at the playground on 5th Avenue. So I'm concerned about these things. I'm concerned about piles of garbage that, that are allowed to accumulate outside of schools. I'm concerned about the mental health disorders that I'm witnessing right here in the streets, right down the block from my house, people passed out on the streets, people in, in psychotic, you know, having psychotic episodes on a daily basis. Um, the fact of that we live in food deserts, there's so many things that we could do to improve health, which would have also improved COVID outcomes. And we weren't concerned about any of those things. It's just COVID is your medical concern. Emergency life-saving vaccine is the only solution. Thank you, Jackie, for getting us started today. Thank you so much for your question. May I call uh, later in the week and ask my other questions? Or you you can call anytime. <laughs> well, all right. Bless your heart, both of you. Thank you, you so much. Thank, thank you for your call. I appreciate your calls as well. <laughs> Thank you. Carl Blue from California, you're on the air with our very esteemed guest today. And I hope you have a great question. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, this hello. Is Craig Blue. Name, this is a dear all, friend of mine. Craig Blue. <laughs> oh, Craig Blue. Yes. Brilliant artist, yes. brilliant, brilliant artist, one of the great artists of our times has joined us. Okay, Thank you. I'm glad that you corrected me there. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you very much. And um, good afternoon, Jeremiah Landis, my good friend. Pleasure to hear your voice, brother. I figured it out. I figured it out. Um, my question, Jeremiah, is so... Where do you see, where do you see being like the aftermath of um, all of this? Particularly since New York City has dropped its mandates um, for children, school children, school age children, five and up, not wearing masks. That um, businesses can allow people to now come in without vaccination cards. But here in California, they're still doing um, masking in the public transit systems. I just went to lunch with my mentor. We had to wear a mask while entering, but not while eating. So where do you see, what do you, what do you think is going to be the aftermath of all of this um, going forward with not only people's health and public health? What do you think is going to go on? 
That's a good question, and that's uh, your guess is as good as mine type of situation. It's definitely mm-hmm. been inconsistent in terms of, I mean, look at the simple fact of taking away the mask mandate. First, it was the mask mandate and the vaccine passport mandate was removed in New York State, but somehow not removed in New York City because New York City somehow is considered a separate jurisdiction, even though we're right here in New York State. And now that the uh, restrictions have been removed in New York City, um, they're still being imposed in the subway system, which makes no sense. So we don't need to wear masks anymore, but we do wear them in the subways, as though the subways were a separate jurisdiction from the city at large. The whole thing is very arbitrary, and that's. And I'm glad you raised this point because I think we should all, as adult people, we shouldn't be cooperative with things that don't make any sense. And walking into a restaurant with your mask on and then promptly taking off your mask to eat as though the virus, you know, can discern when you're standing up or sitting down or the virus, you know, will harm you in the mosque, but it won't harm you in a liquor store. So like we said, the, the virus will harm you in a, in a small business, but it won't harm you in the Home Depot or if you go to a McDonald's, which was allowed to stay open or, or, you know, what have you. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I don't think this battle is over. I think that the, the, the biosecurity state has had to retreat somewhat based on the ineffectiveness of the vaccines, which is now being shown in hard data. Uh, Moderna stocks plummeted 72%. I don't know if they bounced back somewhat. Uh, Pfizer dropped, seemed to have bounced back a little bit. I don't know about Johnson and Johnson. I don't know about AstraZeneca, but um, there was a sell-off of a lot of these uh, companies that were producing the novel vaccines. And um, I don't know. I don't. I don't trust that the biosecurity state has taken its ball and decided to go home. Uh, it's good that the restrictions have been lifted for now. But look, for example. Uh, my four-year-old son is wearing a mask in school right now, which makes no sense whatsoever that mask wearing was relieved for all students except for those under five. So those are the children who need the mask the least. I think no one should be wearing a mask, and that's another discussion about the efficacy of masks. I think there's 40 years of data showing they're ineffective, and suddenly there was a scramble to claim that that was a means of stopping respiratory virus transmission um actually there's a doctor i recommend you look him up on twitter and on youtube he does some really good presentations Vinay prasad and it's interesting he made it a great point about mask wearing for example which, which is he said what was the actual strategy pertaining to delaying infection because that's what you're proposing when you i mean unless you're saying someone can wear a cloth mask or a surgical mask and literally run and hide from the virus for the rest of your life, you're, you're delaying your infection. So at some point it is going to come down to how equipped your immune system is when you mm-hmm. confront this virus that's spread all around the world, literally has appeared in every country in the world, according to, you know, testing. Thank you, but, Craig, uh, for your question today. Thanks for your contribution. Uh, Mike Thank from you both. Thank you, John. Thank you. Hello, Mike. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I yes. can hear you. 
Mike from D.C. Uh, yes, I want to say good afternoon to Jeremiah and to the PRN audience. Um, Thank you. I, um, I, I've just been, like, sitting here in awe listening to this brother. I um, I, I don't even know where to start because it's, um, it's just painful to see um, so many people go through this, this amount of distress. Um, I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm one of those people that, in all honesty, I've been flourishing, and it's only because I've been preparing for this very moment, like pretty much all my life. Um, I don't have, I don't have any of the worldly responsibilities most people have. Like, you know, dad, raising kids, um, I've done all that stuff. And it's difficult now because most people don't understand you're living through a transition and one of the greatest wealth transfers we've ever experienced, in, at least in modern times, and most are not aware of it. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to support, um, Jeremiah, I'm going to support your site. Um, just because one, I want to support musicians. Uh, one of the last concerts I saw was, uh, in Living Color. And oh, I love me. Living Color. Well, you know, Vernon Reed, like I said, he, he's my friend and just my favorite guitar player in the world. So <laughs> yeah, big Living Color fan. <laughs> Yes, sir. So, um, like I said, my heart goes out to anybody out here that's dealing with this that doesn't understand. Like, I, I, I haven't had to wear a mask. I haven't. I stopped going to restaurants years ago. I, um, I don't fly on planes. Um, so, I, all these mandates and stuff, they never really registered with me. Like, I'm, I'm still employed. But I work in the IT industry, so um, I've been remote like the last two years. But I was remote the 14 years before that. I've been working remote mm -hmm. since 2000. So, like I said, somebody like me, I've been preparing for this like for decades. And it's um, crazy to see that we're here because when Jeremiah talks about the biosecurity state, he's absolutely right. They've already beta tested it and uh, basically um, perfected it in China. So it will be coming here, but they're shifting everything. If you notice, they're shifting everything back to the East. Um, the central banks are getting ready to abandon us and now is one of the greatest opportunities that we're going to have in our lifetimes but we can only do it united and together if we keep pursuing all these individual tracks to building individual wealth um it's going to be our demise we have to start to work collectively and move collectively in order for us to prepare and start building alternative systems. 
Well, thank you very much, Mike, for your contribution today and your sober warning. Thank you so much for contributing today. Thank you, Mike. And I totally agree. We need to work together. Henry from Chicago, you're on the air. Hey, Chief, how's it going? Henry. It's going. How's by you? Uh, it's uh, kind of raining out here, gloomy. <laughs> uh, greetings, Jeremiah. Uh, that was a great presentation. Hey, Henry. Uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, good to hear you, too. And um, I do agree with uh, everything you said about the effects of the lockout. Uh, it has, you know, affected me, you know, personally. You know, uh, hasn't affected me much uh, uh, financially because uh, I, too, am also in uh, IT as well, so remote you know, uh, I, I can work remotely, you know, uh, easily. Um, but I want to ask you this because um, go back to 2020 of March when the lockdown started to happen. And, yeah. you know, we started to see the numbers of deaths, you know, just rising. Uh, my, 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 my wife works in one of the largest hospitals on the south side of Chicago, and she started to talk about how, the, uh, the units were getting at, at 100% capacity. The morgues were starting to fill up. Uh, and this, this, COVID, uh, this COVID wave started to take its, you know, take its deadly course. Now, if you are uh, in the position that, say, Dr. Fauci is in, uh, if, if, you know, if you think that lockdowns uh, were not the, the issue, and we're talking about March of 2020. What would what would you have recommended at that time of what the people should do uh, in uh, you know in this uh, particular beginning of a pandemic? Great question. Well, first of all, we do have to bear in mind that we were dealing with supposedly, apparently, a novel virus. So you know, there's a slightly different answer for what would be done initially compared to what we would do as we learned more about the pathogen and we learned more about our circumstances. Um, one thing that could have been done, for example, is a care package should have been offered to all people, but especially to the vulnerable and the elderly. Um, health initiatives could have been introduced all around the country. Um, one thing that I thought of was, for example, especially as people are being prevented from working, the farmers should have been, should have had all their produce bought by the state and should have been delivered to all the people. Here are your fresh oranges, your fresh carrots, your fresh lettuce, tomatoes, whatever is produced by farmers. They should have been bought out and that food, that fresh food should have been distributed to the public who one, needs fresh food and needs food to live, and two, might not be able to afford food as they're being prevented from earning an income because they're being asked to stay home to stop the spreading of a virus. But a good friend of mine who actually is uh, located in the Los Angeles area, um, you know, we, we've been consulting each other as soon as this stuff happened and we started getting suspicious around the same time about some of the policies and, and some of what was going on. And he made a great point, which is, to improve my health, to maintain and improve my health, I did the opposite of everything that they said. 
They told people to stay inside, go outside, and get some fresh air and some exercise, especially. Um, don't be afraid. Fear itself is an immune system suppressant, and that's actually true. That's not just an abstract thing. You, If you're in a constant state of fear, it will harm your health over a period of time. So why were the major media, including Fauci himself, functioning as fear mongers? Um, furthermore, uh, socialize with people. Stay connected. Follow health protocol. Don't show up at somebody's apartment coughing and sneezing. But if you're healthy and you're well, see your friends. Socialize. Um, I lost my grandmother recently um, at the age of 96. And I always hoped my grandmother would reach 100 years old. And I can only speculate but I wonder if maybe my grandmother would have reached 100 were it not for these past two years of being isolated. You know, we were avoiding contact with her uh, to preserve her. But maybe that's exactly what expedited her demise. You know, we need each other for our well-being, just like we need food, um, water, air. We also need impressions from other people. It's part of health. So, you know... Those are my immediate answers, is care package for the public, and then in general, do the opposite of what the state told you to do. As a matter of fact, it's rather interesting, but there are certain uh, COVID um, mortality checkers, I guess. I don't know what you would call it, but you can enter your personal data or your, your personal coordinates into uh, a COVID survivability meter and it will tell you your risk of dying from COVID. And what's interesting is um, if you go from no exercise to modest or moderate exercise, your survivability increases as much as the vaccine supposedly increases your, bio, your, your survivability. So that wasn't presented to the public. It was not made clear that, hey, if you're somebody who doesn't get any exercise, start implementing some basic exercise and it increases your chances of survival radically. Um, and then furthermore, you know, and this is where we get into the deeper criminality of it. And this is where I think someone like Fauci has really committed evil in regard to all that's happened here is there was an, a radical effort to suppress early treatment. There was a radical effort to suppress other uh, therapeutic medications that would have literally saved people's lives. I mean, the total lack of curiosity in terms of why the United States had the worst COVID outcome in the world is astonishing. I mean, we have the wealthiest country in the world and we're just dying at an alarming rate. We should be very, very curious why that is the case. Is it because of the SAD, the standard American diet? Is it because of all the pills and injections and so on that we're taking already in our overly medicated society? Is it because we're so stressed out? Is it because of the GMOs in our food? I mean, we can only speculate, but how is it that Africa, which they said would be ravaged by COVID, had 1% of the mortality of the United States and Western Europe? And, uh, you know, a, a big part of it is early treatment was was dissuaded. People were not offered early treatment. It's like I heard one doctor make the point, which is that even a parent, even a little league coach knows about early treatment in the most basic sense. So he used the example of 
for example, if a kid sprains his ankle in a little league baseball game, do you say to that kid, oh, we'll wait four days until your ankle really swells up, then put some ice on it? No, you start applying ice as soon as the child is injured. If someone gets sick, you start treating them right away. You don't wait till it gets worse and then put them on a ventilator and then kill them with the ventilator, for example, which is what happened in COVID. So, you know, early treatment, there was a de-emphasis on early treatment and early treatment should have been what we were all about. Protecting the vulnerable and treating those who were sick rather than treating every person like a biohazard, even if they were in perfectly good health and not in the vulnerable demographic in particular. Thanks, Henry, for your question today. Uh, Brother you. Dave, you're on the air. Brother good Dave. afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for your presentation, uh, Brother Jeremiah. Thank you, Brother uh, Dave. I enjoy yours as you, well. One thing comes to mind. Uh, I'm sure you know who the enemy is. And I would like to know if you have some idea uh, of how to get your message across when the enemy controls all the forms of media. He's very effective in doing that, radio, television, and so forth, the newspapers, uh, periodicals and and uh, that list of media that controls people's minds. So I have talked to people about the very same things that you've mentioned and even with the quote-unquote educated people, so some of them are so confused they uh, uh, fall for the uh, weapon of uh, denying people information or censorship that is in full effect. Uh, censorship from any point of view that doesn't go along with what is beneficial to the ruling class who runs this system that we live in. So uh, if you don't mind, I would appreciate if you would give some suggestion of how to get by that uh, point uh, where the propaganda has been ruling up till now. Absolutely. And I'm glad you raised this question because I have done some proactive things, which I'm proud to convey or happy to convey um, to the audience, which is, first of all, I started a group, and I want to thank everybody in the group and give a shout-out to the group, which is called the Information Repository. I started connecting with like-minded people, and on the Signal app, um, we just pour in the information every day. So we have a big group of 38 people who share articles, video links, and so on and so on every day. It's more information than any individual person could possibly keep up with, but that's why it's a repository. It's all there so we can scroll back and pick and choose uh, what we have time to, to analyze and look at, but it's a group of people sharing ideas and sharing information. So forming affinity groups like that um, is enlightening intellectually and it's encouraging spiritually. Uh, also, we, a, a, a few of us started, started jamming, started making some music. Uh, a good friend of mine, Michael J., who I want to give special thanks to, he's in the information repository and um, 
he uh, is a, a brilliant gong master. He's a sound healer. And um, I started jamming, brought some of recording equipment over to Michael J's house. Thankfully, he doesn't live too far away. He's walking distance. And another good friend of ours, brother Kevin Nathaniel, the great Ambira player and percussionist. We started creating healing music, which we want to share with the public soon. We have some good recordings. The stuff is unmixed. But getting together and playing music with people. And now, you know what? With all the venues being closed, and now, okay, the venues are opening back up, so maybe we could book some regular gigs and some regular clubs. But it's time to just commandeer space wherever you can, wherever, wherever you can make a venue. It might be in a local park somewhere. But let's make our own venues now, which is something else that uh, Brother Kevin Nathaniel, who I mentioned, was doing. He started a series called Breathe Easy, maskless jam sessions, basically. And this was a long time ago, right when the masks were in full effect. He knew that there's something not right about this. This is not the natural condition of the human being. This is psychological manipulation. And... He had events where people could get together and be human beings, and it was at a different location uh, every couple of weeks. But getting together with people, forming affinity groups, um, and you know, we're even looking into places where perhaps we can own land collectively. So, you know, the more we can work together, the more we can build and strengthen communities, the better. And um, yeah, it is a very discouraging atmosphere because. The media, the major media, they're not just in cahoots with the pharmaceutical industrial complex. They are fully integrated. There is no line to be drawn. There is no distinction. There's full integration now of the media systems, and we can include the social media systems that have now taken to censorship, which I'm glad you mentioned, which is something we all need to be alerted to because um, I didn't recall asking the government to protect me from misinformation, and I don't need them to protect me from misinformation. You know, in fact, I think there's many gradations of information, and we've fallen into this strange kind of binary thinking, which is not very intelligent, not very productive, and uh, just not very insightful, because things are more subtle than to be broken down into binaries repeatedly. There are things that, for example, are generally true, but partially untrue, or things that are largely untrue, but one particular feature of what was stated is true. There's context. Um, There's even the fact of, you know, if someone presents misinformation, well, I want to see that misinformation to understand the nature of misinformation. I'm not scared of someone else's incorrect thought. You can follow up. You can can cross-reference things. And we'll, we'll get to the truth. But the truth doesn't necessarily come in this nice, neat little package over here, and then everything that's over untrue is over here on the other side. Well, there's, there's the intermingling of the true and the untrue, and things that are true in one context but not in another, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, we have to be very careful about these monolithic sources of information that are clearly not educating us, but rather steering us in one direction or another. And that direction happens to be extremely profitable. I I would think it would be valuable to uh, tell how to get in touch with your group so people can get this information. That would be very good. 
Absolutely. Well, you know what? Anyone can email me at jeremiahhosea at gmail.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-H-O-S-E-A at gmail.com. Um, also, Thank you. please check out my website, jeremiahhosea.com. You can check out my music there. And that's another thing. Anyone out there who does video work, um, please reach out to me. I'd love to produce audio for whatever sort of video production stuff you're doing or anyone who needs audio for any purpose whatsoever. I actually did produce um, Grammy-nominated or Emmy-nominated music, I'm sorry, for a great documentary called Mr. Dial Has Something to Say. I did the soundtrack for a documentary about the great go-go artist from D.C., Chuck Brown, uh, and just various other credentials I have. So anyone who needs audio, please reach out to me. Send me an email. I'll send you a link to the group. Now, the group was not just an open invitation for everybody in the world, but if you're a Utrecht lead listener, I will be happy to invite you. That puts you in a special category of astute wow. people. Thank you. So, but if I call up, uh, they'll, they'll tie my hands behind my back and say, you are certifiably insane. You can't belong here. Thank you so much for that. Well, what was that? What did they say? You treat? They said I would never be a mem- I would never want to be in a group that would have me as a member. <laughs> yes, uh, WC Fields. Yeah. Ed uh, from Queens, you're on the air with uh, Jeremiah, Hosea. Ed, brother Ed, welcome. Oh, Ed, we can't hear you. I think he. I think he hung up. He was. Oh, what happened? Maybe he got another phone call. Probably. But let's. Hey, call right back. Oh, he may be listening to you. I see some activity here on the the board. Um, So let's, let's say you want to put a kind of. a cap on this today. What do you think you've achieved in relating to people? What do you think that they've gotten out of this discussion? Uh, well, hopefully, first of all, you wrote down the resources that I referenced, the COVID Chronicles documentary, Planet Lockdown documentary, look up 400 studies on the failure of compulsory COVID interventions. Also, I'm a resource myself. I'm a chess teacher. I'm a bass player. I'm a bass teacher. Please reach out to me, jeremiahhosea at gmail.com so we can continue the discussion, so I can collaborate, so I can support whatever it is that you're doing. And, um, you know, hopefully we we just engage in, in more thought provocation. I mean, there's more to be discussed than all that we can discuss here in this one hour segment, but this is something that touches so many aspects of our lives. I mean, we're talking about the well-being of of ourselves as individuals, the well-being of our communities, the well-being of our children, and, um, and an ongoing struggle because a bad precedent has been set. A very bad precedent has been set where the the state can declare lockdown as though we are prisoners in an open-air prison 
and then just implement various arbitrary measures. And we're supposed to follow these arbitrary guidelines because of the so-called emergency circumstances as they are declared emergency. Now, I'm not saying that to belittle any loss of life because anyone who's sick, anyone who has lost a loved one, I feel compassion for all living beings. And I don't enjoy being sick. And anyone who feels sick, I wish them wellness. I really do. But there also comes a, a, a element of manipulation uh, into play when we have to consider that, you know, um, you're going to be willing to harm me in 10 different ways or 100 different ways to protect me from one source of disease or discomfort. Okay, Ed, you're back, and you have only a little bit of time to ask and have your question answered. <laughs> yeah, hello, how you doing? Hello, Jeremiah. Okay. Good to hear you. How's it going, brother Ed? Good to hear you. Yeah. Good, good to hear you. I'm sorry I got pulled away. I happen to be at work. Um, I'm considered by New York standards an, an essential worker, so I pretty much have been out in this from the beginning of it to this pandemic end. But uh, the question I wanted to ask you, I think David touched on it, other people have touched on it. The question I want to put to you is what I put to everyone, what is put to me. What can we do? I mean, we have to act collectively. We can't let what I call the Davos men lull us into a state of perpetual servitude and serfdom. So what do we do? Do you have any insights? Do you have any, uh, do you have any suggestions? If I missed it, I'm sorry, but uh, basically that's my fundamental question. I'm looking for ideas because we got to do something. Good. That's, that's always the way we should be thinking is solution oriented. And um, like I said, first of all, form affinity groups because we're stronger in unity with each other. We can, we can enhance each other's ideas. We can enhance each other's efforts. I'm a big believer in collaboration, cooperation. I mean, the basic analogy is like, for example, Imagine if you're trying to move uh, a sofa out of an apartment and down a couple of flights of stairs. Now, you can coordinate a couple of friends, and you can just manage to take the sofa down the stairs, and, and you can do that. But if you try to do it by yourself, you'll break your back. You can't do it. You can't move this huge object by yourself. So, you know, I think we're better when we're working together. We can exchange ideas we can critique each other respectfully. We can enhance each other's ideas. Um, we should be looking for spaces where we can um, engage in community building. For example, I reached out to a, a local music venue just yesterday, and I want to start hosting some events here in Harlem. I played in all the clubs downtown. I played under my own name at the Blue Note. Um, I played in, in you know, most of the venues in New York City at one point or another, and a lot of venues that don't even exist anymore. But you know what? Let's make our own blue note right here in Harlem. Let's, let's reach out that, to the community. On that note, we have to end because we're totally out of time. Well, it's um, my pleasure. I want to thank the listeners. I want to thank you, Eutrice. I want to thank PRN. Thank and please reach out to me at jeremiahhosea.com. Thank you. Thank you, and we will meet up again very soon. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you.